Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to two places? Would you open your Bible to Romans chapter 4 and also open your Bible to, uh, to Mark chapter 5? Romans chapter 4 and to Mark chapter 5. I'll tell you a funny story. I heard of this lady that died. Speaking of words, we're talking about the power of words. And today we're wrapping up the series uh, with a message entitled, The Choice is in Your Mouth. But this is a funny story. I heard about this lady that died, and she found herself standing at the pearly gates. St. Peter said, well, you can come in unless, you can't come in unless you correctly spell a word. She said, well, what word? He said, any word. And she said, okay, how about the word love? L-O-V-E. Peter said, well, welcome to heaven. Come on in. And then Peter asked her if she would take his place, so he instructed her. He said, okay, from now on, anybody who walks in, just follow this procedure. Well, in a few minutes, this lady sees her (laughs) ex-husband. And he's coming up, and she said, well, what are you doing here? He said, I just had a heart attack. Uh, Did I really make it to heaven? And she said, no, not yet. You have to correctly spell a word. And he said, well, what word? She said, after a long time, huh, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Now, you shouldn't hold anything against if anyone has any ex-husbands or (laughs) wives in here. But nevertheless, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 is our text. And I gave you a homework assignment. And it's this. It's this verse. Death and life. Can we say it together? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's say it again together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Say it one more time without looking at the screens. In fact, would you, can you just take it off the screen for a minute? Let's say it together. Death and life. Now let me quiz you. Where are death and life found? On your tongue, right? And what is found, what is in the power of the tongue? Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Okay, that word power we went over last week, it's the Hebrew word yad, Y-A-D, And it really is translated most of the time, I think it's over a thousand times in the Bible, it's translated the word hand, the hand. It's it's death and life are really in the hand, and the hand, the control, the direction, the authority of the tongue. But it's kind of weird to uh, translate it that way, death and life are in the hand of the tongue. What he's saying is your life's direction is found in your mouth. The authority of your life is found in your mouth. Just like, and we talked about the difference between a pol- uh, authority and power. A police officer will stand on the corner, a, a traffic light goes out, and they stand up, a lady or a man will stand up and put up their hand and they'll say, stop, in the name of the law, or they'll just say, stop. A car is much bigger than them, and a car can really run over them, or a, a person can say, I have more power than you. Well, they do, but the officer isn't standing there holding up their hand because they have power They're standing there because they have authority. Their authority stops the car, but the power that backs the authority is the police department or is the law enforcement that's behind it. Death and life aren't in the power of the tongue like you have just some strong, thick tongue. Oh, so powerful. No, it's you have authority on your tongue. 
And in your tongue carries authority. It carries spiritual authority, whether you're a believer or whether it's not. Your tongue controls your life. The Bible says a man will have joy by the answer of your tongue. If you're a joyful person, it's because of what you speak. If you're a, a person who has depression, it's because of what you speak. It comes out of your mouth. The Bible says a man will eat out of the fruit of his own mouth. The, 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 the things in your life happen. Your environment around you is a result of your tongue. Your tongue controls your environment. So the first week we talked about life was created by words, how everything you see in our life was created by words. God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's how it was created. He spoke words. And then in week number two, we talked about your tongue, your life. Your tongue is a result of your life. Last week, we talked about uh, your words carry authority. You have authority over your own life. I know that sometimes we ask God, God, would you do this? God, would you do that? And God says, I gave you my word. I handed you my word, and it's up to us to speak the word of God out and to see things happen in our life. It's not that God doesn't have control. God does have control, but he gives us the authority over our own lives. And some of you might say, wait a minute, I thought God was in control. If he was, everybody would be saved. But is everybody saved? No. How, who gets saved? The people who speak, the Bible says, with the heart one believes, but to, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's how we get saved. It's how we receive from God. Well, today I want to talk to you about this, and it's the choice is in your mouth. The choice is in your mouth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. If you look at your screens, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, God is speaking to his people, and he says this. In fact, could we read it out together? It says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. I think sometimes people think that their life is just a result of whatever they've been handed down. And to some extent, that's true. Some people have been handed better cards. They have more things to work with. They have maybe a, they have maybe a family who's taught them how to do things or they have... Uh, maybe they have uh, a family who has taught them how to budget and so they know how to budget better and they're better with their money or they have a family business and they've given them a job or they've taught them certain disciplines. That's true. Some people do have those things. But that doesn't mean that we're limited to what we've been handed down. I want you to notice that God says to his people, today I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. In other words, I want you to see you're not victims. It's not just... It's not just God's decision and God's a chooser and some people have life and some people have death. No, listen, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And so what does he recommend? He says, now choose life. Can we say it? Choose life. So if we receive life, whose choice is it? It's our choice. Well, if if you couple it with Proverbs chapter 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How do we choose life if we were just to say it real quick? By what we speak, right? We say by who we speak, by if we pull Jesus into our lives, well, we've chosen life because he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he says, I've set before you life and death. You choose life. I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch this old TV show called Let's Make a Deal. 
right? And they'd have these different doors, and they'd say, do you want what's behind door number one? And then, or door number two, or door number three, and you pick one door, and then it opens up, and it's like, a new refrigerator, you know, and as a kid, you're like, uh, uh, you know, but it's something that's like a new arcade machine or something, and you go, yeah, that's what I want, and then they say, well, what about behind door number two, would you want, and they try to make it enticing, like the devil or something, you know, they try to make it enticing uh, or something, and then you think, oh, I think I'm going to take my chances, right? Do you know that he doesn't God doesn't say you're going to have to take your chances. He just says there's two doors. One's life and one's death. And if you're smart, you'll pick life. He says, so choose life. And here's why. So that, two reasons, that you'll live and that your children will live. I want to just point out to us something very obvious, that your choice of life doesn't just affect you. See, I'm not standing here today because I made all the right decisions in my life. I'm standing here today because one of the reasons is because my parents chose life. And because they decided not to choose death, so they chose life and they prayed for me and spoke life, so I had a better opportunity to choose life. The choices that we make in our life are affecting the generations to come. Can somebody say amen today? Yeah, it's not just your life that's affected, it's the generations to come. So how do you choose life? Well, I know, speak the right words, but what words? How do you choose life? I'm going to give you three keys of how to choose life. And I want you to write these down if you can. Three keys to choose life. And I want, let's go back to the creator of all life. And who is that? It's God. Look in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We know that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God said, let there be light. Or really in the Hebrew, he says, light be. He spoke life and light happened. And that's how creation happened. But I want you to notice uh, here how God spoke life into human beings. That was before human beings. I want you to notice how he spoke life into the human being's life. Sometimes human beings who have authority and have words and they're speaking stuff all day long, it's a little more complicated. I want you to see how God did it. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Look at your screens. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. It says, God... God says this to Abraham, as it is written, and, and I want to remind you, Abraham's about 100 years old at this time. <laughs> picture a 100-year-old man, right? Uh, you say, I, I can't picture one. <laughs> I've never seen one before, but, or maybe you have. Um, but uh, he says, as it is written, God's speaking to this 100-year-old man, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, Abraham's never had a child. He's 100 years old. Never had a child. And God said, I have made you a father of many nations. You can imagine Abraham thinking, who? Who? He says, I have made you a father of many nations, speaking to Abraham. He says, he, says, he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who, listen, gives life to the dead. The God who gives life to the dead. Can you say that with me? The God who gives life to the dead. Now, how do we choose life? Listen, God who gives life to the dead, and here's how he does it, and calls into being things that were not. How does God give life to the dead? He calls into being something that wasn't being before. He calls into existence something that didn't exist before. That's how God gives life to the dead. How did God give life to everything in our world? He spoke it. But God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist 
as though they did. So number one, how do we choose life? Number one, you have to call things into being. You have to call things into being in your life. You have to change your words. Before the reality around you changes, your words have to change. You can't just try harder and speak the same things. You have to change the way that you speak. You have to, and so number one is call things into being. What did God call into? He said, light be, right? What did he say to Abraham who was 100 years old? He spoke to Abraham and he said, I have made you a father of many nations. And I can imagine him like, I'm old. I don't have kids. I can't even produce. And then if that's discouraging, look at my wife. She's 80-something or, or whatever she is, 90. This is a bad equation. Find someone else. I'd say find grandkids, but I don't even have kids. No, God's saying, no, I have made you. What did he do? He spoke. I have made you a father of many nations. And then I want you to notice what God did. God changed Abram's name. See, his name was Abram. Uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I'm almighty God and walk before me and I'll make a covenant between me and you. He said, in verse 3, he says, and Abram fell on his face <laughs> and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Now, look in verse 5. Verse 5, God, God says this to Abram. He's 99 years old. He says, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Now, I've heard of people changing their names at like five or, you know, 30. Or This guy's like 99 years old, and God's like, hey, why, don't you, why don't we change your name? But here's what he changed it to. He changed it from Abram. The word Abram means exalted father. <laughs> His name was already meant father, and he's not a father. It's already kind of a, hey, what's your name, father? Do you have any kids? Nope. All of his life. So God's like, let's change your name. And I could imagine Abram saying, finally, what are we going to change it to? How about father of many nations? <laughs> oh, rub it in. Make it worse. God's saying, I'm going to change your name to father of many nations. Up the ante, so to speak. Let's make this even worse. God's, God calls him father of many nations. He changes his name. And so you say, well, that, that was God, though. But I want you to notice in verse 18 here of that same uh, chapter of Genesis or excuse me, of the last chapter. It says, Abram, uh, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations, just as it has been said, so shall your offspring be. Bring, uh, be. What does that mean? It means that God spoke father of many nations, and he said, your name's going to be changed from Abram to Abraham, but Abram had to receive a name change. It wasn't like he just said, well, okay, I guess you're going to call me this from now on. Because people would say, what's your name? And he had to choose what they were, he was going to tell them, right? People would ask him the next day at the store, hey, Abram. And he'd have to say, that's not my name anymore. What's your name? It's father of many. Oh, do you have kids yet? No. <laughs> what's with the name change? God changed it on me, you know? But people would say, what's your name? Is it Abram or Abraham? It's Abraham. He had to receive the name change. He had to receive. In verse 18, it says, against all hope, look at that on there, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. Notice God spoke it, but Abraham had to speak it. 
He had to receive it. Just as it has been said to them, so shall your offspring be. So number one, it's call things into being. Can we say it out nice and strong? Call things into being. How do we choose hope? We call things into being. And then I want you to look at in, in verse 19, Romans 4, 19. If you just go another verse, it says, and not being weak in faith, this is what Abraham did. It's the second part. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Not only was, was he 100, and not only was Sarah old, but Sarah was barren when she was young. I mean, it's like everything's going wrong here. Sarah couldn't have kids when she was young, and now she's old. And Abraham, they didn't have kids when they were young, and now they're old. He says, but he did not consider his own body already dead. He still had his age to deal with. He still had his body to deal with. You say, well, he just didn't, you know, pay attention to it. When you're 100 years old, you pay attention to your body. You know, I'm 48 years old. But when I became about 40 years old, uh, I start, you know, little by little, and, and some of you would just know, the older you get, the more you have to pay attention to things in your body. Because if you don't, <laughs> they'll pay attention to you, right? You have to pay attention to certain things. This is a hundred years old person. He had to deal with certain things. And he had to pay attention to things in his body, with his body. He was well aware, but the Bible says, and then his wife uh, and then he's talking about his seed, but the Bible says that he did not consider his own body. What does that mean? It was there. He just didn't stare at it in the mirror. It was there. The situation was there. The circumstance was there. Why am I emphasizing that? Because you have situations in your life that God is speaking to you things. You're trying to speak out the right things, but the, the opposition is all of the reality that you're having to deal with. And you've had to deal with it for a long time. What about this? You know, in fact, when, when, when you're like, God's trying to get something over to you, and you're like, what about this? And what about that? And what about that? And what about that? And what about this? And then you finally get over in faith about it, and you're excited about it, and then someone comes up and says, hey, what about that? And you're like, shut up, you know? I just got out of that off my mind. But the Bible says he did not consider his own body. In other words, he didn't factor, factor his body into the equation of the promise of God. So that's number two. Stop staring at your circumstances. Stop staring at your circumstances. Number one is call things into being, but number two is you can't be more aware of your circumstances than you are of the promise of God in your life. Stop staring at your circumstances. He didn't consider his own body. He didn't talk about his age. He didn't talk about her age. He didn't factor it into the equation. You don't get impossible things to happen by staring at the obstacles all day. It's not that you deny them. It's just you don't focus on them. You don't consider them. All things are possible, the Bible says, right? Jesus said all things are possible to him who understands the equation. No. All things are possible if you really understand what you're working with here. No. All things are possible to him who believes. Believes what? Believes in his heart. We walk by faith and not by Come on, we walk by faith and not by, because faith will be direct opposite of sight. So if we're speaking one thing, which is what God says, but our eyes are on sight, then how are we going to receive the promise? I want you to see what Abraham did here. Not only did God speak, 
But Abraham spoke. And not only did God have to receive, or did Abraham receive the promise, but he had to not consider how old he was and how old his wife was and the deadness of her womb. He he didn't consider those things. Uh, In in 1954, there was this phenomenon that happened about this, uh, and you know it if you're a runner, uh, about a four-minute mile, four-minute mile. There was people who were constantly trying to break the barrier of a four-minute mile. What, uh, there was an article that I read that says, what we mortals can learn about the four-minute mile. Experts said that a four-minute mile, someone running a mile in four minutes could not be done. According to legend, experts said for years that the human body was simply not capable of a four-minute mile. It wasn't just dangerous, but it was impossible. And other legends hold that they tried for over a thousand years to break this barrier. But in the 1940s, the mile record was pushed to 401, where it stood for nine years. And as runners uh, struggled with the idea, just maybe the experts had right, perhaps the human body had reached its limit. Uh, Excuse me. It says in 1940, the mile record was pushed to 401 where it stood for nine years. As runners struggled with the idea that just maybe the experts had it right, perhaps the human body had reached its limit. Here's the breakthrough. In, on May the 6th, 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute barrier running the distance in 359.4. As part of his training, he relentlessly visualized the achievement in order to create a sense of certainty in his mind and in his body. Barely a year after Bannister accomplished this, after he finally hit the four-minute mile, someone else ran the four-minute mile in just minute, uh, in under four minutes. Then more runners did, and now a four-minute mile is almost routine. Even strong high school runners can run a four-minute mile. But see, when there was a barrier and people would look and stare at that four-minute mile, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. They didn't do it. Once someone did it, what happened? They can run it. How many in here can run a four-minute mile? Okay. Yeah, oh, there was one person back there, yeah. But, uh, and, and maybe, maybe there's more of you. Someone's speaking it out right back there, right? I want to see you do it. <laughs> I want to see you do it, Chris. But, uh, but. But if you stare at the obstacle of we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can do it, even if you say you can do it, it's not going to help. You have to be able to break that barrier. Stop staring at your circumstances. Let me say it again. Stop staring at your circumstances. Stop staring at your barriers. Stop staring at the things that are holding you back that are going against what God said for your life. He didn't consider his own body. He didn't talk about those things. If you are calling things into being, if you stop staring at your circumstances, well, what's point number three? Well, it says in verse 20 that he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but Abraham was strengthened in faith and he gave glory to God. What did he do? He began to say praise to the Lord. He began to give glory to the Lord. Lord, I thank you. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I give you the glory. This is going to be a phenomenon. Lord, this is going to be something that's going to change the world. I give glory to you for, uh, for uh, doing a miracle in my life. The Bible says he was strengthened in faith. He gave glory to God. And notice, he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So here's point number three. Be fully convinced of God's promises 
Be fully convinced of God's promises and give glory to him. Give him the glory. Be fully convinced of God's promises and give him the glory. Uh, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. This is the value of what praise is. It's so important, that song we sang today, I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. It's important that we're go- when we're going through challenges that we're, that we're saying, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to see a victory. Can you say it out with me? I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. It's important to say those things out over your life. Why? Because that's what God says over our lives. It's not just mind over matter trying to self-realize and, and, and say, I am good-looking, I am smart, I am well-able, I am rich, I am on top of the world, I do not. And some people think, oh, is that what you're talking about? Well, that's better than talking depression, depression, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lining our tongues up with what the Word of God said. Saying out of our mouth about us what God says about us. That when God says we're the righteousness of God in Christ, that we say we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't talk about ourselves as trash when God talks about ourselves as righteous, right? We're talking about talking the word of God. Isaiah chapter 54 says this, Sing, O childless woman. Sounds crazy. Woman doesn't have any children. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been with labor. For the desolate woman, uh, it now has more children than the woman with the husband, says the Lord. Look at this in verse 2. Enlarge your house. What is he saying? I know you don't have any kids, but build a nursery. I know you don't have any kids, but add on. Why? Because expect God to do something in your life. I know God's saying that to you this morning. Expect God to do something bigger than you could ever do. That's why it's called supernatural works. Because it's not natural. It's God adds his super to our natural. And it's called supernatural. Listen, sing, O barren. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home. And spare no expense. For you shall soon be bursting at the seams. What is he doing? He's saying, listen, I love you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. But you have to see it. Get your eyes off of your own victimization, your own hopelessness, your own past. Quit letting the enemy lie to you and get your eyes on the promises of God and speak out God's word. Can someone just give a big hearty amen today? Now, I want to give you one more story, and that's in the book of uh, don't come yet, please. Nate, let me just, uh, for the future, I'm sorry, I should have told you this. Let me just give you a, kind of a, a little cue, if you don't mind. Thank you. I appreciate your diligence always coming up here. But when you come up here, you start playing, and then my heart softens, and I just want to stop and worship the Lord. But i got to finish this point. Okay, thank you. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I want to talk about this woman who had issues. She had an issue of blood. Woman with the flow of blood. She had it for 12 years. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, there was a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. And she suffered many things for many musicians. She's been dealing musicians. <laughs> she, some people have suffered many things for many musicians too, I have, right? But she didn't. It was many physicians, okay? She suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, rather grew worse. Notice she's been dealing with this condition for 12 years. Some of you have been dealing with some conditions for 12 years. And she suffered 
and she's went to the doctors about it, and she's trying to get through it, and the doctors didn't make her better. The doctors made her worse. Notice it was sort of like Abraham. It was like, I'm getting older. It's getting worse. She tried everything she knew. The Bible says she got to uh, verse 27. It says that when she heard about Jesus, I want to remind you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She heard about Jesus. She probably heard Jesus as well. She heard about Jesus, and she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. But I want you to notice what she said behind this. Because so many times we think, if I could just touch the, the garment of the Lord, it's because it's the Lord. Lord, would you please heal me? I beg you to, to heal me. I beg you. God, would you please heal me? As if God is holding back the healing. Can I tell you, God's not holding back your healing. God's not holding back direction. God's not holding back provision. God's not holding back blessing. God's not holding back hope for you. It says when that she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Notice what she said. If only I shall touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Can we say those words? I shall be made well. Is that a statement? Is that a declaration? Or is it a, if only I shall touch his clothes, I hope that he'll make me well. No, it's I shall be made well. If I can get to his garments, if I can get to him, I'm going to be made well. She said that. Notice what she said. Call those things into being. It's like what we talked about, point number one. Call those things into being. If only I, if only I could do this, I shall be made well. So again, stop looking at your circumstances. She had these issues of this flow of blood. She was suffering from physicians. It was getting worse. And, and then it says in verse 28, 29, immediately... The fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt inside of her body that she was healed. I don't know if you've ever experienced a physical healing like this before, but you've come and you've received healing from God, and there's like something inside of you, maybe a warmth, maybe it's a, a, some type of, some would call it energy or a sensation, or the Holy Spirit, or goosebumps, or whatever you may call it, but there's something internally that you feel you're being healed. Has anybody ever experienced that before? There's something that God's doing in your body. That's what was happening. She came and by faith, she, she said, I'll be made healed. I'll be made well if I do this. And, and as soon as she did it, she, immediately she knew that she was healed. In verse 30 it says, and at the same time, Jesus immediately knowing that power had gone out of him, turned around and said, who touched my clothes? Notice, Jesus noticed that power came out of him. Let me ask you, who initiated the healing? Was it Jesus or her? It was her. But where did the power come from? Was it Jesus or her? Jesus. Where, what healed her? Was it her faith or was it the power? That's hard because Jesus said, your faith's made you well. But was it her faith that was the power? No, it was her faith that was the authority. It was her faith that released the power. So which, which one released her healing? Both. It was the authority and the power. You walk over and you see a light switch. I don't see one right here. But if there was a light switch on the wall, right, and I, I, lo I look over and I say, hey, there's no lights that are going on in here. Uh, I, just, I, I just pray that uh, Memphis Light, Gas, and Water would turn on these lights. Oh, I just pray they would turn on those lights. And someone says, you don't have to pray. You just walk over and flip on that switch and it would turn on. And you flip it over and you go, they respond to that? No, the switch is hooked up somehow to them. I don't know how. But my switch 
flips on and it activates the power. It's not my power that made the lights. It's their power. But it's my decision that flipped on to make. Sometimes we're praying that God would do things and God's already provided the power. But it's our authority in our tongue. Does someone understand what I'm saying this morning? It's the authority in our tongue. We have to flip on the switch. If we're going to choose life, we have to flip on the switch. We have to, with our mouths, she said, if only I can touch his garment, I'll be made well. And what happened? She touched his garment and Jesus said, power flowed out of me. Power came out of me. And then he looked around and he said, who touched me? And they said, Master, all, people are all over touching you. You have like hundreds of people, thousands of people that are touching you. What do you mean who touched you? He said, no, someone touched me different. Someone touched me in faith. Someone touched me and took a withdrawal of power out of me. Someone had faith. It says, but his disciples said, you have all these people that are touching you. And he said, knowing that something happened to him. So he turned around and in verse 33, it says, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. Now you can come up. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Notice this. The woman came up and she knew that power, she pulled power out of Jesus. I, my, um, I have two brothers that used to live at a, uh, side by side in these two houses, and uh, and and they when they moved in they didn't know how the electricity worked, and one of them was running like the the electricity like the HVAC all the time, and like because they, they had a I want to say they had a hot wife but it's true but it was like you know, like she'd get hot all the time okay and so but she had to have the air conditioner on all the time and all those kinds of things and the other one barely ran it because the electric bill you know, was, was, so, was so high. And this one would run the electric all the time, and this one. So they got together talking one time. These are my two brothers. So they got together talking one time. They said, man, the electricity's not bad prices here at all, is it? He said, they're horrible. He said, well, what do you mean? And he said, I barely turn it on. I mean, we barely turn it on. And I feel like the more that I turn it off, the higher the bill gets. I mean, horrible bills, high bills. The other one said, I feel like the more I turn it on, the lower it gets. I don't know what's going on. Well, they realized that somehow their addresses were switched and they were getting each other's bills and this one was paying this one and this one was paying this one. And it was kind of funny because they switched those kinds of things, right? They, they switched the power in that. This, he says, knowing that that happened to her, came and fell down and told the whole truth. The woman knew that she had just taken a withdrawal of power. And I could almost imagine that when Jesus called her out like, who just took my energy? Who just took healing? Who just took power? That she walked over to him and said, oh, it was me. I've been suffering for 12 years, and I needed hope. I needed energy. I needed healing. So, so I called out, and I reached out, and I, I needed your power. Jesus looked at her, listen, he didn't rebuke her and say, you should have asked if it was my will or not. You should have asked me before you took my power. And Jesus looked at her and he says, daughter, daughter, it's a term of endearment. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go, be healed, be well. Can I tell you, God never rebukes faith. He never rebukes faith. If you need something from the Lord, reach out to the Lord, grab it. Say it. What are those three points again? The three points are this. Number one, call it out. Speak it. 
call things into being. Number two, stop staring at your circumstances. And number three, be fully convinced of God's promises and give Him the glory in your life. Choose life. You know, as we wrap up this series, I want to point something out. There may be a name change, and I'm not talking about your name. If your name's John, it's supposed to be, you know, Bill now or something. But there may be a name change in in something in your life that you've been calling something as disabled, as less than adequate, as not having enough. And you need to give it a name change. You need to quit calling it that. Abram had to be called Abraham, father of many nations. Sarai had to be called Sarah. God changed the name. Jacob in the Bible. God changed Jacob's name. Used to mean surplanter. Used to mean one, you know, who, who's, who's surplanting. But, but what did he change his name? He changed his name to Israel. Jesus. He used to be called Jesus of Nazareth. But after he was anointed, he was called Jesus the Christ. Had a name change. Saul. Saul was called Saul, right? He was the one who deceived all these Christians. He said, let's change your name. Let's not call you. I don't even want you to identify with that. Let's call you Paul from now on. There's name changes that are in the Bible. Simon, who was the the leader of the first church. Simon, he came up to him. Simon means reed, shaky. He said, I don't want to call you Simon anymore. Let's call you Rock. Let's call you Peter from now on. See, he gave these key people in the Bible name changes. And the name changes changed history. And we read about it. And God's saying some of us need name changes in our lives. The choice is in your mouth. So I want us to say a couple of things. First of all, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want you to ask the Lord this question right now. Say, Lord, is there anything in my life that needs a name change? Come on, don't rush to get out of here. Just say, if there's any, is there anything in my life that needs a name change? Is there something that I've been speaking, something that I've been saying, something that I've been identifying with that's not me? It's not who you're calling me to be. And God, today, speak your new name to me. Speak your life to me. Speak your hope to me. In the name of Jesus, I want us to make a few confessions of faith just out of the word of God today. Can you say this in faith today? Open your hearts. Say this. Say, I am a child of God. Come on, say it out of your heart. I am a child of God. Say, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Say, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Say, today I make a decision to choose life and not death. I do not accept the lies or the limitations of the enemy, but I accept the plan of God for my life. Say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world.
know I say that every morning when I wake up? I say, I wake up, and the very first thing I say out of my mouth is, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I am a man of God. I live to the Lord. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I begin to speak those things over my life. Why? Because I feel like it? No, because I don't. <laughs> say this, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Say, Jesus came that I might have life and have it to the full. So I receive full life today. Say, I do not receive the lies of the enemy or the negative words that's been spoken over my life. Say, I receive the words of God and the words that he speaks over me. And that's what's going to come out of my mouth. Say this, I walk by faith and not by sight. I walk by faith in the word of God and not by feelings. I don't serve my feelings, but I serve the Lord. I speak life over my mind today. Come on, speak over your mind today. Some of your thoughts are jacked up. Some of your thoughts, you haven't been thinking clearly or straight. Just say, I speak life over my mind today. I bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Say, my mind thinks the way that God wants me to think and nothing else. Just say it over your mind. I have the mind of Christ. That's what the Bible says about us. Say, I present my body a living sacrifice. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Say, I present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Say, I think, uh, I, I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I'm healed. Come on, say it over your own life. I thank you that by your stripes I am healed today. Say, body, receive healing now in Jesus' name. Emotions, be healed. Mind, be healed. Say, I speak life over my family today. Come on, over your, over your family. Get them in your mind and say, I speak life over my family today. Say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in Jesus' name. Say, I have clear direction in my life. I have vision for the future. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or lack for anything. So today, I release all care. Come on, do it with me. Today, I release all care. Today, I release all worry. Today, I release all stress. I release all frustration. I thank you that my life is free from all of those distractions and all of those things today. Say this, say this as we close. Today I choose life. The life that you have provided for me. And I don't accept anything else. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare this today. Come on, just give a shout amen today. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way the most recent episode will always be in your feed ready when you are. God bless you and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.